electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How do we explain today's fabulous run? Dow surging 255 points, S&P pole vaulting 1.4%. NASDAQ launching itself into the stratosphere, up 1.6%. Simple. This market's behaving like a coiled spring, or really a whole bunch of coiled springs. It's like a venomous stake, all coiled up and ready to strike. Tech, the banks, healthcare, fang! They're all coiled springs. And they bit the bears during well, what amounted to be a torturous quarter, but an awful nice finish. In recent weeks, the highest growth stocks have gone from being, let's say, on a benign poppy farm to looking more like the blood-soaked fields of Flanders with trench warfare, inflating interstitial fields of fire, and endless artillery bombardments. Today, though, we finally saw how they can behave when they aren't being poisoned with mustard gas and drowning in their own darn foxholes. Stop the shelling for a few years, maybe these stocks can really put some points on. I could go over all of them, but I think Amazon defines the modern-day stock market battlefield. Now, here's a stock that gave up 120 points in two days on rumors and stories about how President Trump hates Amazon, not Facebook. Middle school? Can't make it up. Yesterday, the White House press secretary comes out and says that Trump's not targeting Amazon. Yet today, the president tweets that Amazon pays little or no taxes to state and local governments, uses the Postal Service as their delivery boy at the expense of you, and is putting thousands of retailers out of business. I hope someone's explaining to him that Amazon's actually a huge sales taxpayer, including paying some taxes that brick-and-mortar stores can avoid. Amazon's never evaded taxes. That'd be illegal. It's an incredibly profitable partner for the post office. It actually subsidizes the cost of your stamps. 
Sure, the company has indeed wiped out thousands of retailers. I've talked about that endlessly, but so has Walmart. I suspect the president may be piqued that Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, hasn't been exactly a fan of the administration. Still, as the facts came out and people realized the president's case against Amazon smacks more of fantasy than fact, the stock came back. The major point I need to make is, as we wrap up a largely dispiriting quarter is that if you can't handle the news flow, both fake and real, you need to use this rally to lighten up, maybe even on Monday as the names that have caused you the most fright aren't done going down and then up again. Yep, it's time to reassess risk, everybody. You've got to understand that we are in a surreal moment where people can come on TV and make false accusations about a business. And then when the stocks fall, they can justify the decline by saying if the stock in question wasn't expensive, why did it go down so much? If it were cheap, it could handle any sort of accusation with a plum, couldn't it? In other words, the bears can say stocks are vulnerable because they're vulnerable. And this ridiculously circular reasoning actually works right now. So if you want to stick with this market, make sure you can handle these accusations from short sellers and presidents that often turn out to be false or at least overblown. And with that in mind, let's take a look at what's happening next week so you can steal your heart ahead of time as the shorts once again unleash the dogs of war. On Monday, we're playing Where's Zucco? That's right. Where in the world? In the absence of any earnings, I'm pressing, I am betting the press will be all over Facebook again because it's just too much fun. All sorts of insinuations, innuendo, because Mark Zuckerberg remains in the bunker war room. No fighting in the war room with Sheryl Sandberg and the rest of the gang. Once again, I plead that these Facebook executives let the outside director speak for them. People like absent lead director Dr. Susan Desmond Hellman, who runs the Gates Foundation, or the AWOL former American Express CEO Ken Chenault. They should come in and preside over an outside council review of the firm's practices. It ain't so hard. It's not rocket science, even though I know they can do that. And it's the only way for Facebook to get past this debacle that really brought out the long knives from the legions of people who clearly despise Zuckerberg. Hey, I don't even like her, you know? I mean, no one despises Dr. Desmond Hellman or uh, Ken Chinalto. They're revered. Oh, and again, no one is going to believe anything that Cheryl or Mark say until they bring in a reputable, independent investigator to look into the situation, regardless of what they tell you. Regardless. On Tuesday, we hear from Cloudera. Ooh, probably never heard of these fellows, but it's a software company that's all about big data analytics and machine learning. Lately, the cloud stocks have been crushed, even the kings, until today. But maybe Cloudera will remind us why we liked him in the first place. Oh, and if you want to know who enables the world's big data architecture, stick around to hear Jensen Wong Talk about how NVIDIA has become the software and hardware engine behind so much of the new economy from autonomous cars and, yes, we'll get to Uber, to data centers, to gaming, and, of course, cryptocurrency. Hey, where was it today? Fine. What's next? Everyone's so worried about housing and auto sales. Federal Reserve keeps raising interest rates. I don't want to fret. That's not my game. I want to know, which is why on Wednesday we have to pay very close attention to CarMax, largest used car dealer in America, and Lennar, among the largest home builders. Let's just take our cue from them. While the president is fuming about Amazon's market power, maybe we should be thinking about the power of Ollie's army. 
People who show up in droves to buy closeout merchandise from Ollie's Bargain Outlet. Memo to Ollie, don't go buy the uh, New York Times and Washington Post to stay out of trouble. We've had about a triple here with this, Ollie's. is a three-bagger, novel brick-and-mortar retailer. I'm predicting another solid quarter when they report Wednesday night. Thursday, we hear from Monsanto. And at this point, I don't really care as much about the quarter as I do about hearing which countries want to retaliate against the U.S. now that our government's showing some backbone when it comes to trade policy. We subsidize agriculture like nothing else in this country. So it tends to be the first thing our trading partners target when they go after American exports. Monsanto will tell us, and they're honest fellas, how worried we should be. Finally, on Friday... We get the Labor Department's non-farm payroll numbers, and here we need to give Fed Chief Jerome Powell enough hiring cover so that he can keep raising Fed funds rate back to a more normal level, whatever the heck that is. At the same time, though, we don't want too much wage growth because that will so panic and send the yield of the 10-year surging back toward 3%. It's not all noise. This is the most important macro number we get. It does determine much of what was bad and good, like what was bad from the date in January and what was good about February's, at least until the fangs were defanged and took everything else with them. Bottom line, look, I hope today's positive action will continue, but I'm not a... I'm not a Pollyanna. It's not going to. Uh, and I hope that the once beloved tech stocks get their group back, but I know they're not. If the hate for them continues, you have my blessing to do some selling. And I have to tell you, my travel trust will be joining you in trimming some of these positions next week. If only so I can stay sane enough to continue to do this darn show. Why don't we go to John in New York? John! Hey, Mr. Kramer, it's always an honor to speak to you, sir. Same, Jack. Especially today, opening day in the major leagues. Yeah, and how we doing? I mean, look. Greatest team in baseball. You, sir, are the New York Yankees of the investment world. I like the 27 Yankees murderers row, man. We take down, we take down and shame those who are in our way. What's up? You're right. You're right. The Babe and Lou Gehrig. Mr. Kramer, I've got to ask you a question. I've been following you for the last 20 years and you have given me nothing but great advice and great picks in the stock market. Darn, thank There's you, man. There's a company now that is doing so well, Jack Dorsey's company that I heard from you on television two years ago, Square. Right. I don't understand why these analysts keep on picking at it. This company has a great balance sheet, great management. They have a great product, great services, and now they're on the rise again. The stock, I think, today closed at 50 I'm a big holder in Square. What is your opinion as a long-term investor? Well, John, I think some people just didn't like how fast it went and didn't believe Sarah Fryer. Such a fabulous job doing there. CFO, I'm a, a full disclosure client at Bar San Miguel. Think of the world. I'm, I think you're going to be right. But you know what? It be flopping and chopping while it works off some of that overbought condition. Joseph in Pennsylvania. Joseph. Jim, a great big Philadelphia booyah to you. Oh, man, a Howie Roseman go birds booyah. And, of course, <laughs> Phillies, too. What's up? Yes, sir. Uh, first time caller, new investor. My question is with the recent record fine to Bank of America for fraudulent activity, where do you think this company is heading? Is this still a viable investment? Do I build, hold, or sell? Bank of America's headed higher. It's the uh, largest beneficiary of rate hikes, and we've got a rate hike happy Fed that wants to put rate hikes on without even seeing any of the data. I prefer the data. I am what's known as data dependent, but Bank of America is an inexpensive stock. Okay, the market's become a coiled spring, at least for the day, and, but it's a venomous one, so be careful. You have to hope we go back to the old world, but I don't think we're going to, so you have my blessing to do some selling on Monday. 
Man Money tonight. It's the bane of the long-term investors' existence, and I'm revealing it just ahead. And Jensen Wong founded NVIDIA at the age of 30 in 1993 and has led it to become the premier platform for AI, gaming, data center, autonomous driving. Tonight, I'm sitting down with the visionary CEO to find out how the company's managed to find itself and all at the forefront of all the hottest sectors. And my exclusive with one of the greatest stocks of our year, Constellation Brands. The company was able to brew a profit and the stock's heading higher. Can it keep up the momentum? Stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Right now, hot money is everywhere. And if you're a long-term investor, it is the bane of your existence. Today, we got a reprieve, but I keep thinking about all the hot money stocks that I like to highlight. Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, Apple, Alphabet, NVIDIA, and their ilk. And it drives me crazy that these stocks could have so many weak-handed shareholders. Weak because they were only strong when the stocks were flying. They're the stock market equivalent of Thomas Paine's Summer Soldiers and Sunshine Patriots. Case in point, Micron. Here's a semiconductor company that delivered a masterful upside surprise earlier this month, largely because of a shortage of DRAMs, the memory-building blocks that are Micron stock and trade. DRAMs have become so packed with silicon, they're much harder to produce than they used to be. In the old days, Micron would get crushed whenever its competitors started building new plants. But the increased complexity of these chips means that the capital equipment costs have become enormous. In other words, DRAMs, huge barriers to entry. Micron also has a line of flash memory chips that was at one point the hottest of the hot. But now pricing is cool as supply and demand for flash have come into balance. While the recent quarter was much better than expected, it's mostly driven by rising price of DRAMs as flash pricing stalled. But here's what I mean about hot money. In the 19 days leading up to this El Monstro quarter, Micron stock soared from $47 to $61 as the hot money guys bought shares hand over fist. It was a breathless run, cheered on by bold-up analysts who kept raising the price targets, including some $100 targets that got slapped on right before they reported. Why do I call it hot? Because I got to ask you, who the heck else would pay $61 for this stock dead ahead of the quarter after Micron had already rallied, had already rallied nearly 30% in under three weeks? Definition of hot money. Why pile on like that? Why not just say, hey, I missed it? Or I'll wait until after the quarter because after such a big run. No, no, no. They couldn't wait. Hot money was seduced by the thoughtless blast off. These guys are like lemmings and just like lemmings, they ended up diving off a cliff. Sure enough, when Micron reported, the stock got dinged, dropped 61 down to 58. Then a few minutes after the obligatory bounce on cheery headlines, it continued to fall, ultimately sinking to 54. Ouch. Then we got a rear guard action and another analyst with a $100 price target. It looked like the stock had stabilized. Nope. Since then, the pressure from hot money, no doubt realizing the stock wouldn't see 61 again anytime soon, has sent Micron down to 52. And again, all this was in response to a fabulous quarter. Can you imagine what would happen if they had missed all the hot money guys who bought the stock at 61, visions of 100 dancing in their head, now want to cut and run at any price. These guys don't know the difference between DRAM and a Dodge Ram, or flash memory, or Grandmaster Flash. 
But what they do know is what a bad chart looks like. And down three bucks from here, Micron will have a real ugly chart, a head and shoulders pattern. More selling ahead. Where does this madness stop? I'll tell you this. Some of the analysts who loved it in the high 50s are suddenly letting it be known that the stock has peaked. While the company can earn about $11 this year, cheapest stock in the S&P, they're saying next year will most likely be a down year because of flash. And anytime Wall Street thinks you're going to have a down year, you are in the doghouse. Right now, though, the short-term shareholders and money are your real enemy. In Micron, they're like unruly tenants who scuff up the walls and take down the fixtures on their way out of Micron. And after this brutal, gloriously shortened week, do you really want to deal with them anymore? Honestly, nothing is more discouraging for investors than having to deal with hot money. And right now, hot money's all over the place. Sometimes you just need to let things cool off before you pull the Don Trigger, Jay in Virginia, Jay. Yeah, my big booyah from Virginia Beach, Virginia, and go Eagles. Yes, you bet. Virginia Beach makes you think of AI, and I'm not talking about artificial intelligence. What's going on? My question is about VMware, VMW. When and how do you see this playing out for VMW if the debt-laden Dell and 94% stakeholder in VMW moves forward with imposing itself to avoid its own IPO? All right, Jay, look, here's what I'm going to look at. I'm just going to tell you that I think the VMware is an inexpensive cloud, cling, cloud king, and you should buy that one. I have no thoughts on the others. Let's go to David in Illinois, please. David. Hi, Jim. I'm a 21-year-old investor in college right now, and I just want to say thank you for all you've taught me about investing. Quite welcome. College kids watch the show. I love that. How can I help? My question is about Lammer Search, L-R-C-X. All of these fears about a trade war combined with Micron stock getting slammed when they reported earnings last week, has sent LRCX down over the past two weeks or so. I'm wondering what your outlook for LAM research is, and if you think that they will get hit like Micron did when LAM reports earnings in mid-April. I think LAM's going to report a remarkable quarter. I think that Martin Ansys is going to do a good job, but right now you are absolutely right, my friend. You got horse sense. It is captivated by the aura that is Micron, which means it's going to go lower before it goes higher. Rental shareholders in Micron are your enemy. Blame the hot money. Much more mad money, including my exclusive with the CEO of NVIDIA. I'm finding out where the company stands in the self-driving car race following the Uber crash. Then drinks on Constellation Brands. The stock headed higher today after earnings. But can the move continue? I'm going to talk to the CEO. All your calls. Rapid fire. Tonight's just the lightning round. Stick with Kramer. As the stock of NVIDIA, perhaps the most important hardware company of our era, finally found its footing after a couple of rough days, here's a company that makes the best graphics processors for gaming, the data center, machine learning, autonomous cars. In other words, they're riding a host of powerful teams, which is why this stock has been such a stunning performer for the past few years. Get this. NVIDIA stock is up 560% over the past two years and more than 1,700% over the past five years, far more than any FANG stock during that period. But while the company keeps doing amazing things, many of them trumpeted a fantastic user conference this week, the bears have circled. 
Yeah, they're talking about autonomously driven pedestrian fatality and over-reliance on the once red-hot, now cooling crypto mining business. I say the stock's recent hammering is an overreaction. These two issues are distractions in the broader brilliant scheme of things. Let's hear from the man himself, though. Yep, Jensen Wong, the visionary founder, president, and CEO of NVIDIA is on our show tonight. We're going to get a better read of what's happening at his company. Mr. Wong, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, it's great to be here. It is exciting to see you, sir. You are the keeper of one of the best performing stocks of our era. You've had a big week with the GPU or Graphics Processing Unit Technology Conference. I listened. I was struck by innovations, healthcare, video games, lifelike architecture, vast amounts of data harnessed to artificial intelligence. What do you think are the driving forces for the next 25 years that you talked about this week? Wow. Hey, look. You know, we're broadcasting from the middle of GTC. This is an... <laughs> they can control themselves. There are 8,500 scientists and AI researchers, roboticists, and they're here this week to learn about the state of the art of GPU computing. Gosh, it was amazing. 8,500 people, 600 different sessions. We saw all kinds of new technologies. And um, this, is, uh, this has turned out to be the uh, tomorrow land of technology. This is how you see the future. Well, I'm glad you pointed that out because we've had people come on our show and say because of the visionary things that you're doing, literally, they have held back the creation of games, of video games, the fastest growing industry we know, because of your latest chips that are so much more lifelike than the previous generation. Can I tell the difference between simulation and reality now? Well, you know... Computer graphics and video games is the driving force of GPU computing. And this week we announced twice as much performance as we announced just six months ago. This is the Volta V100, 32 gigabytes. And along with it, we announced a brand new groundbreaking technology called RTX, the NVIDIA RTX. And it's, it's the biggest breakthrough in computer graphics in the last 15 years. It's 10 years to do, and it makes, makes possible for the very first time, real-time ray tracing and cinematic rendering, like the one that's over my shoulder, Captain Phasma of Star Wars, it's completely done in real time. And so this is going to be a groundbreaking development for computer graphics and video games. Of course, as a driving force of what has now become one of the largest technology industries in the world, GPUs, this is going to propel our next 25 years like you can't believe. Okay, so this is the reason why Lucasfilms uh, why Pixar has selected uh, NVIDIA architecture for their uh, renderings? Yeah, we created this technology. It's called RTX. It's been integrated into tools from all over the world, Adobe, Autodesk, Dassault. It's being used by film studios, Pixar, Weta, Game Engines, Unreal from Epic, Unity. So you're going to be able to see these beautiful computer graphics generated in all kinds of new industries. The film industry, the rendering industry, generates about a billion frames per year. And it takes hours on a supercomputer to render each frame. We can now do this with just a few GPUs. And so we can save the, the industry just an enormous amount of money and an enormous amount of time. And so for the very first time, we can do this in real time. And, you know, everybody here knows the more GPU you buy, the more money you save. All right, well, Jensen, I, I love that. It's a theme throughout your speech. But I want to deal with some of both the facts and the misperceptions about your company. First of all, people think you make chips 
in reality, platforms, architecture, software, ecosystem. Why are you being pigeonholed as a chip company? Well, we started out as a chip company. NVIDIA 25 years ago was one of the most exciting PC graphics chip companies. Now, over the years, we reinvented ourselves, so now we're really a GPU computing company, and we can use our GPUs for all kinds of problems. And in fact, over the years, we've also evolved the company to become a systems company. I'm looking at, I'm standing in front of a brand new system we call the DGX2. The DGX2 includes 16 of these Volta processors. It's the most powerful supercomputer in one box. This box sitting here next to me replaces 300 servers. 300 servers. That's several million dollars all shrunk into this one little box for $399,000. We create the processor, the system, the system architecture, all the system software on top of it, and it's designed specifically for AI researchers. As a result of this box, they can now train their machine learning models 500 times faster, 500 times faster than just five years ago. And how so about heat? When you think about this box. How about heat generation? What's that? How about heat generation versus the other heat guys? Heat generation, oh my gosh. So 300 servers consume something along the lines of, call it 160,000 watts, 160,000 watts. We reduce the, all of that to 6,000 watts. We save money, we save power, we save floor space, and just as importantly, we make it incredibly easy for AI researchers to just buy one of these boxes, install it, and start developing their models. In addition to that, we take all of the technology that we've created to this, and we make it available to all of the cloud service providers and all the system makers all over the world. I'm standing in front of IBM and Cisco and Google and Hewlett Packard, and they're all here to support this conference. Don't make these kind of servers available in the data center, available in the cloud. And so we create the entire system, we make it possible for the entire industry to create these systems. And as a result, AI researchers will be able to access the NVIDIA GPU computing platform wherever they are at all kinds of different price points. All right, so we just heard some pretty amazing things, some starting trends that are gonna be with us for many years. Now, I pick up a piece of research, tectonic upside, but is NVIDIA ahead of itself by Jeffries? Here's a piece by Wells Fargo questioning whether there's the cryptocurrency risks are growing. Here's a piece from JP Morgan saying that it's not possible to maintain the cryptocurrency $250 million run rate, and so therefore we must be concerned about the stock of NVIDIA. What do I say to these people, Jensen? Well, our core growth drivers come from video games. It comes from professional graphics visualization, like what you see over my shoulder. It comes from our data center business, which is now a multi-billion dollar business, doubling each year, as well as in several years, our autonomous vehicle business. So those are our primary growth drivers. The reason why cryptocurrency became such a popular thing on top of our GPUs, is our GPUs is the world's largest install base of distributed supercomputing. And blockchain requires cryptography and the ability to have um, a public ledger that is completely immutable, perfectly safe, distributed all over the world. And so our processor serves as the perfect processor to enable this supercomputing capability to be distributed. And that's the reason why it's used. But our growth driver comes from the four areas that we talked about. Cryptocurrency just gave it that extra bit of juice that um, you know, caused all of our GPUs to be in such great demand. But I think over, over the long term, cryptocurrency will still be here. 
but our four growth drivers is what's going to make NVIDIA 10 times larger than we are today. All right, just want to be sure about this. What you're saying is that the even though a lot of these people are hung up on cryptocurrency, it is maybe not as big as, say, a new big game, maybe not as big as, say, uh, uh, something that you're doing in data center. But people keep saying if they people think that it is that important, they're going to miss the bigger picture. Absolutely. Gaming is a much bigger business. Data centers is a much bigger business. Our professional graphics is a much bigger, much bigger business. And of course, in the future, everything that moves will be autonomous, will have autonomous capabilities, and that's going to be a much bigger market. And so okay. cryptocurrency will be here. The, the ability for the world to have a very low friction, low cost way of exchanging value is going to be here for a long time. And blockchain is going to be here for a long time. It's going to be a fundamental new form of computing. And so I expect blockchain, I expect, uh, expect um, cryptocurrency to be an important driver for GPUs, but the core market for our company are the four things that I mentioned. All right. Now, I wish you, uh, please stay with us, sir. We're going to have more with Jensen Wong, founder, president, and CEO of NVIDIA, including the topic of the moment. Yes, autonomous driving. Stay with Kramer. Monday. Kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Hey, watch out. That's my phone. I paid $10 a month to back up my pictures. And they know that the I Apple. just did that. They're aware. Music. They knew I threw it. Oh, they knew. They knew everything about it. Actually, open your health data as a step. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. I cannot overstate the importance of having great leadership. The market can roar on a day like today because our leaders came back with a vengeance, and NVIDIA is one of the best examples of this. After spending a couple weeks in autonomous driving cryptocurrency purgatory, it shot up over 5% today, along with a bunch of other growth names that seemingly had lost their mojo, and the averages rocketed higher. This story is so important that for one of the few times in Mad Money's 13-year history, I'm going to go back to the well with a second segment of Jensen Wong, the great founder, president, CEO of NVIDIA, hear more about his company doing and where it's headed. Jensen, let me ask you, we know that you have been paving the way for autonomous vehicles and that you have said transportation this week at your conference, $10 trillion market. But we recently had a fatality from an autonomous vehicle and you have said you are taking a pause from what I understand is your five car fleet until you find out what happened. But at the same time, when your partners want to continue to order hardware for autonomous vehicles, you are going to give them everything they need. Is that the state of things? Yeah, first of all, what happened, the fatal incident that happened this last week is really sad and it's, it's tragic and we have to make sure that we learn from it. But the important thing is that, that NVIDIA's technology is an open platform. Uber developed their own sensing and driving applications and software. We want to make sure that, that we take a moment, wait until they do their investigation and learn what, what we can learn from them. But their technology and our technology is completely different. We're developing our own sensing and our own driving applications, and we call that drive. They use our chips in theirs, but they develop their own driving applications. We're developing our own drive platform. Our drive platforms are used by OEMs and partners all over the world. We have some 370 partners around the world. Everybody knows that the reason why we want to do this is so that we can ensure that transportation is more safe. There aren't enough trucks to be able to carry all of the online shopping that's going on. There aren't enough cars in the world to be able to support the next billion people that comes online. We want to make the roads more safe. And so we're more determined than ever to make sure that autonomous vehicles work perfectly. 
Our commitment, our commitment is to build the world's first functional safety computer for autonomous vehicle at the highest level of functional safety. We call that ISO 262 or ASLD. Basically the same way airplanes are designed. We're going to turn these into autonomous vehicle computers and over the course of the next two or three years, we'll be able to put them on the road. Our partners are running full steam ahead and uh, nobody is stopping. We now realize the importance of this work, of course, and uh, we're going to continue to do it as carefully and as safely as we can. Well, do they, your partners, or you have any updated thoughts on the Uber incident? Because I know that from your simulation, you're working with floods. You're working with blizzards. It seems like that you are doing a lot of things that uh, perhaps the Uber incident, uh, let's just say, may not have had a lot to do with what you're up to. Yeah, they don't, they're, their driving technology and their sensing technology is completely different than ours, and they're doing that independently of, of their own. The thing that we're trying to do is we want to make sure that we create a great computer, but we also realize this, Jim, you know, the world travels about 10 trillion miles per year. That's 10 trillion miles. The best we could do, even if we had a whole bunch of cars on the road, is millions of miles over the course of several years. And so the only way to solve this problem is to create a virtual reality environment. And you know we know a lot about virtual reality. We're going to create a virtual reality environment where cars could learn how to drive to be great cars and f fully safe cars in all of these thousands of parallel virtual re reality worlds. And as a result, we're going to simulate billions and billions of miles in all of these tens of thousands of virtual reality environments. And so that's how we're going to be able to bridge the amount of driving that the world has, the amount of testing we can really do, the rest of it we're gonna do in these virtual reality environment simulation. We call that Drive Constellation. I announced it this week, and the enthusiasm around Drive Constellation is just amazing. They're all supercomputers like this, with driving applications that sits on top of it, and car companies can come and buy that from us and um, simulate billions and billions and billions of miles in virtual reality. Now, Jensen, I tell people that you're uh, that what you're doing with hardware and with software is going to make it so people we detect early cancer, we detect early problems with heart. What that we can do so much with health. People say to me, OK, well, wait a second. Who is this guy, Jensen Wan, that you like so much? Where did he come from? Why has he still got the fire burning after 25 years? So I said, you know what? When I put him on the show, I'm going to ask him who the heck he is. Who are you? Well, Jim, I'm the product. I'm the product of my parents' dreams and aspirations. This is just an amazing story. So, so uh, I, I guess um, some 45 years ago, my dad came to the United States for the very first time. I was four years old. He was probably in his early 30s. He came to the United States for the first time, the very first time in the late 60s, and he went to New York City of all places. He was sent there by Courier, the air conditioning company, to train. He went home and he said that someday he's going to send his children to the United States. This is going to be, a, this is an amazing country and he wants his children to grow up there. Well, at the pursuing years, my mom taught us English to prepare us for the United States. And as you, you, well, at the time, my mom didn't understand any English at all. Here's a person who knows nothing about English teaching her two children English. Every single day she would pick a random 10, num 10, uh, 10 words from the dictionary and uh, ask us to spell it and ask us to, to, uh, to tell her the meaning. Now, she has no idea whether, whether we said it right or not, but nonetheless, my father's dream, my, fa my mom's aspirations for our success is what uh, ultimately put us here. And it's, uh, I owe them a great deal. Well, I can say, is this a great country or what? Jensen Wong, 
founder, an- president, and CEO of NVIDIA. Thank you so much for coming on, Mad Money. I am most grateful that you're here. Jim, it's great to be on the show with you. Thank you. Wow. This stock goes higher. Sometimes I wish I worked there. Mad Money's back into the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning round. Come on, 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 come First time caller, just bought AMD this week for 10, wondering if you still feel good about AMD for the long term. I feel good about its PC exposure. I feel good about its graphical user stock chips. The problem is this. They're up against Intel. They're up against NVIDIA. So it's always going to be a tough time for Dr. Lisa Sue, but she'll get through it. Let's go to Arlene in Florida. Arlene. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking the call. Of course. Since the FDA just approved the new Dexcom glucose monitor, should I continue to hold the stock yes, or should so I sell it? now I think it? it's going to get taken over. I mean, I got to tell you, we own Abbott Labs uh, for the club, fractionalersplus.com, but I, I was quite impressed that Dexcom got that fast for approval. I, uh, it's going to be hard for that company to stay independent. Max in Indiana, Max. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Max. So I'm a finance major at the Kelly School of Business, and um, I've owned PayPal for about five months. And I wanted to know if you thought they were going to keep up with their forecasted earnings growth. Do I buy? Uh, okay, first of all, we love Kelly School Business. Went out there, did a really terrific show. And I will say this about PayPal, man. But that uh, club members of ActionLearnersPlus.com know that we bought this aggressively this week. Why not? It's finally come down. Dan Schulman told a great story. Sandy in Rhode Island. Sandy. Hey, Jim. A big booyah from uh, Little Rhodey. Uh, My question is about CVS. We're averaging out at about $86 a share. Is it worth keeping long-term since we're down $24 a share? What do you think? Sandy Woonsock and Zone does not belong at these levels. And if they would come on air and tell their story on this show, the stock would probably go up. Why? Because it's too inexpensive, but they got to tell the story. And they're not any good at doing it. Michael in Oklahoma. Michael. Booyahski Betty from yo, yo. Oklahoma. There you go. Yes, uh, I have a company in the healthcare industry. They have a niche business in the peripheral nerve damage business. Uh, and what would that be? Uh, in their last report, they had the fourth quarter 49% growth. In the last year, they had 40%. 47% growth year over year. Their growth margin is in the 80s. Well, what is this company? Uh, I've been accumulating action, AXGN, four times in the past two years and served me well. What is your recommendation? I don't know it well enough to be able to opine, but boy, that is some record. Let's do some work on it and we'll have to come back and that. Ladies and gentlemen, computer, the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. When you've lost Playboy, you've lost America. We can't call it an oligopoly if it's only one. That's called a monopoly. This was like five, five pianos landing on you when you're walking down the street.
If you have a long-term perspective, you may want to dive into the Gowanus Canal. Pick up some Facebook. I'm sure it's down there. I see the green bubbly water. Oh, man, happy birthday to you, partner. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Bust that. Look at Constellation Brands Go. Here's a longtime Kramer fave that you might recognize as the company that imports Corona, Medell, and Pacifico into the U.S., some of those popular brands of beer on earth. They've also got a substantial wine and spirits business featuring some of my favorites. Now, Constellation is an incredible record of outperformance because blowout numbers like they issued today. 15-cent earnings beat off a buck 75 basis, higher than expected sales, strong guidance. No wonder the stock shot up $7.43 or 3.4% today. So is this the beginning of the next leg up? Let's take a closer look with Rob Sands, CEO of Constellation Brands. Learn more about the quarter as prospects. Mr. Sands, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. All right, Rob, once Glad again, once again, you were the uh, really the only source of growth in this whole uh, in the whole sector. And why are you continuing to be able to take share and put up big numbers? You know, it's all about the brands, Jim. We just have the best brands in the entire industry with brands like Corona and Modelo Especial and wine brands like The Prisoner and Miomi. Uh, you know, we've built a portfolio of brands that today is probably the, uh, the, a stable of the best brands in the entire beverage alcohol industry. Okay, so Rob, last time you were on, uh, wine was a bit weaker. This quarter, wine stabilized. But during that period, a lot of people panicked and sold the stock. Looking at your buyback, you bought a ton, a ton of stock after that happened. Yeah, we actually uh, bought back a billion dollars worth of stock this year and returned about a billion four to shareholders in both the stock buyback and the dividend. So, yeah, we, we took advantage of that. And, you know, we don't give quarterly guidance. We give annual guidance. Uh, quarter to quarter fluctuations usually aren't particularly important in our business and represent seasonality or you know, momentary dislocations between shipments and depletions. Uh, so it was a great year. Third quarter was, wasn't indicative of anything. All right. Uh, third paragraph of your conference call, you talked about canopy growth, an investment that has already doubled. Can you explain to people what, what's going on with that now? Sure. Well, we invested in canopy growth, which is the largest uh, medical cannabis company in the world uh, headquartered in, in Canada. We invested in it really for strategic reasons to ultimately develop beverage brands uh, for markets where uh, cannabis becomes recreationally legal. Uh, but that said, even though the intent was strategic, the investment itself has been a tremendous investment. Uh, we, we, we bought approximately in the form of equity and options, 20% of the company at about $13. And I think the stock closed at around $33 today. So it's a tremendous investment, but the strategic element is the most important, Jim. Okay. Now let's talk about brands. Uh, Sanko de Mayo is coming. Sanko de is on a Saturday, Rob. And I've got to tell you, you told me that we would begin to see growth in Bar San Miguel with Victoria. 
So now we're selling the most is Modelo, second is Corona, third is Pacifico, and now Victoria. Where did that come from? Hey, Victoria, you know, Victoria is a very large brand in Mexico, and, and therefore it's very well known to the Hispanic community, very unknown uh, to the general market. But it's a fantastic product, and we're, we're now seeing high double-digit growth in, in Victoria as well as the rest of the portfolio. It is just kind of amazing. It just keeps happening. Now, how about Corona Premium, nationwide launch? What do we expect? I think that it's going to be a fantastic launch. I think by all CPG uh, standards, it's, it's going to be one of the most successful launches ever. Uh, Premier's, a, it's a great concept. It's, uh, it competes in a category that's growing rapidly. Uh, and I think that it's, the, it's going to be the premier product in that category, the super premium beer category, you know, light, low-carb uh, products. Now, you use the NBA, you use the NFL, now the Ultimate Fight Club. Will you be, uh, will I be seeing those uh, commercials for that product uh, for the, during the playoffs? I'm not sure, to tell you the honest truth. I sure hope so, because the, but, six, the Sixers are going to be in the well, we, playoffs. Well, I, I hope we do, but um, sports properties have been absolutely one of the best vehicles for our advertising and uh, we've got a significantly increased investment in advertising those brands um, all throughout this current fiscal year that we're in now. So I'm sure we'll see it in a lot of places. We are a primary beer sponsor of the Kentucky Derby, so you'll, you'll have to be looking for us there for sure. Absolutely. Now, Rob, one last question. It always seems like there's something out of Washington that now snags you. Uh, aluminum tariff. Uh, what does that mean to uh, earnings for the next year for uh, Constellation? I'm happy to report that it's completely immaterial to Constellation. Uh, you know, we don't buy a lot of aluminum in the United States in the first place. Plus, cans is a relatively small percentage of our business. Uh, and with what we do buy in the United States, we've got it hedged, so we don't, we don't expect it to have any impact on our business whatsoever. All right, well, let's leave it at that. Another great quarter from Rob Sands. They bought a ton of stock. I told you to do the same. Rob Sands, Constellation Brands President and CEO of STC Cent. Cinco de Mayo on a Saturday this year. Stay with Kramer. No, I don't trust this market. We had a day like this earlier this week. Everything looked great, right? And then what happened? I wouldn't trust this market as far as you can throw it. That said, nice day. Like I said, there's always more market summer. Prime start finding just for you right here made money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you Monday. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.